This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George. Well, as they say, it's the hope that kills you. Albion, with an opportunity to get into the playoffs, albeit a slim one, and we'll come to the permutations around that at the end of the pod, but Albion's still in with an opportunity going into the final day, which I think after the Sheffield United defeat was pretty much all we could have asked. It was a narrow win over Norwich, but then aren't they all under Carlos Corbran? We are, we're, we're a low margin team. We don't tend to get beat out of sight and we don't tend to beat teams out of sight. Um, but nonetheless, it was a good performance, a much needed performance against in front of our own fans. And I think, Pete, in the end, it's probably fair to say a deserved win, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I'd say so. We were a bit open. Um, in the first half, weren't we? And they had a couple of good chances that if they put them away, then it, it might have been a different game. But, I mean, I think on the whole, we were probably the better team over the 90 minutes. Um, and we created some good chances ourselves that we didn't put away. Thomas Sante had a good good one, one-on-one um, that Swift sorted him through for. And, you know, even the Jed Wallace's crosses, there was a couple of brilliant crosses that we were just like inches from getting on the end of. And they would have been almost certain goals as well. So, yeah, it was a very a typical, typical Albion, wasn't it? You know, I mean, because uh, you were you were sat there at one one, even one nil, uh, probably thinking, "Oh, is this going to be another one of those where we bemoan missed chances?" Especially after after Brandon going clean through. And I mean, look, credit to Brandon, some of the stuff he did, some of his strength, the use of his body was just unbelievable. I thought second half he bullied their defenders, and. Uh, I think, to be honest, when you look at Brandon, if he could finish like DK, he wouldn't be playing for us because he's pretty much got everything else. But oh god, you could you you just see you just see where where we lack without DK when Thomas Asante goes through and 
hits that pretty much straight at gun uh, because you think DK would have absolutely buried that, wouldn't he? But I mean, Brandon, as I say, got a, got a caveat it with he was unbelievable in everything else he did, bar finishing and what he did for for the second goal, the way he never gave that ball up. He was fouled probably two, three times in the build-up to that. And then he times the ball perfectly to Connor because it's so easy to get that one wrong and play him offside. Um, He was tremendous. But yeah, you just see very much what we talked about on the last pod, Pete, why our XG numbers versus our actual goal numbers are where they are. Yeah, there's a, a really good chance when you clean through him. I think he just wanted to kind of loft it over the keeper's trailing leg. Didn't really get it far enough in the corner, did he? Um, but it's definitely a chance you'd expect him to finish. And you'd expect DK to put it away as well if he, he was on the pitch. But again, the fact that he's making those runs and getting those chances is is still very, very promising. I'd rather him have the chance and miss it than just not be getting any chances at all. Because, you know, if he keeps getting the chances, then you know, he's going to put, put some of them away, even if he doesn't finish extremely clinically. And the chance we did put away for 1-1 came from what I think it's fair to say an unlikely source, Pete. An unlikely source because that is the first direct goal, direct from a free kick that we have scored since the 19th of September 2020. Matthias Pereira away at Everton, the last time we scored a goal with a direct strike from a free kick. And I'll tell you what, Pete, if you'd given me all the money in the world to bet on who would score our next free kick goal, our next goal direct from a free kick, I would not have put it on Connor Townsend. And I wouldn't have put my money on Connor Townsend taking that free kick. It seemed like it was perfectly lined up I, for Swift. I said to my dad, I, uh, uh, before he struck it, I said, if anybody other than Swift takes this free kick, it's a joke. Well... I mean, I might as well give up my my, my career in 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 analysing games at this point because clearly I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> but I think it, it probably fooled the keeper as well because I'm sure they'll have done their research and know that Swift is a good free kick taker and I think it probably just caught everyone off guard and Townsend put it right into the top corner, didn't it? It was a brilliant finish. Um, and I think on commentary they said it was his first goal at the Hawthorns as well. Um, yeah. I mean, perfect day. Yeah, for I think him. I think that seems that seems about right, doesn't it? Because um, he he he's obviously scored at Luton. He scored at scored at West Ham. Um, he's got another one um, this season as uh, as well. But I think I think they're right in saying that they've they've all been away from home. Yeah, and um, yeah, really good day for him because he he got the goal and then he he got the assist as well for the second one, which was well a really good ball to into a really good area. Um, and then Wallace finished it off nicely as well, but. It's something that we've spoke about quite a bit recently. Um, Townsend getting forward and, and making those runs into the box and then looking for cutbacks, which tend to create pretty good chances and, and certainly did yesterday. Yeah, I thought it was a real captain's display from him. I thought he was absolutely tremendous. I really did. Um, uh, he uh, he didn't quite he didn't quite win my personal man of the match, and we'll come to who did in in a, in a in a short while as president of the Jed Wallace fan club. I'm sure nobody will be particularly surprised who gets my vote, but I thought Connor was tremendous, as you say, a goal and assist. But it was much much more than that, wasn't it, Pete? Because he, he's become. As the injuries have mounted up on that left-hand side, Connor providing the attacking outlet has become so important. And you look at his data yesterday, 
three progressive passes, which was second only to Swift. Um, the most touches out of any Albion player. Um, he 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 beat players twice as well, which is not necessarily something you associate with with Connor Townsend taking players on and and going past them. He had three shots in the game as well. I just thought he was. I thought he was a constant threat in a game that we needed to win. And he drove us forward down that side. I thought he linked up nicely with Grant as well. I, uh, Brandon Thomas Sante had a bit of a tendency to drift out to that side also. And I thought he linked up well. I just thought he was, I, I thought he was absolutely fantastic whilst not losing any of his defensive ability, because the thing, I mean, okay, he's made a mistake for the goal and I'm not going to hide away from that. And let's, let's not, let's not, let's not ignore that. But a lot of players that might, because it was fairly early on, that might define the rest of their performance. Connor just kind of went, right, I've, I've made a mistake, but let's, you know, um, let's deal with this. Let's be a mature footballer about this. This is not going to define my day. And he's more than made up for it with a goal, an assist, and an all-round pretty brilliant performance. Players have moments in games. Taylor Gardner-Hickman had a moment in a game uh, against Sheffield United the other the other night. Players have horrible moments in games. The difference is when you have a horrible moment in a game and it defines the rest of your uh, your, your match. Like for example, we gave Semi a lot of stick against against Rotherham or the way I thought Bartley fell apart against blues at home and things like that. If you let those things get to you, that is a real, real problem, but I can forgive any player making a momentary mistake as long as they have the mental strength to the, to go, this moment is not going to define me. I'm going to make uh, define myself. And they go back out and they turn in a performance the way Connor Townsend did. I'm certainly not going to hold the first goal against him because I thought for the rest of the match, he was tremendous. Yeah, tremendous, definitely. Like you say, it's really useful to have him. He's always in the team. He doesn't seem to get injured very often, and and that kind of stability there is really useful. Um, and I think it's it probably helps defensively. Um, because obviously the I mean Eric Peters is probably very used to playing with him and, and kind of knows his game, and it also offensively as well because Colbrand's trying to implement implement a game plan in, and wants his left back doing whatever. If Townsend's in in the team every week, then he's going to learn it a lot better than if we're if he's injured every few weeks and well, somebody else. It, it seems, Pete, like we, we've basically, since Kieran Gibbs effectively got phased out or phased himself out through a series of injuries, uh, unfortunately, and then obviously left on on a free at the end of his contract, I think it, I think it's fair to say we're, we're now into, what, five managers on, uh, on, on the spin that have barely dropped him billich for the latter part of uh, of of his reign allardyce ishmael bruce and corbran he barely misses a game for any of them i mean he's he's second only to jed wallace in terms of minutes on the pitch this season and he's only he's only about 70 minutes behind jed wallace anyway it, it's it's got to say something when manager after manager after because there is not there's not many players in our team who you can go back to the Premier League and say they are still playing every minute of every game. You know, Darnell Furlong's probably the next closest to that, but even even he's had spells out of the out of the team at, at various times. You know, whether whether that's because Dara's got shoved in at, at right back or whatever it whatever it might be, he's been he's been occasionally left out the team. 
Connor just never ever seems to be left out. And the it must be it must be because the managers are seeing something on a day-to-day basis, on a week-to-week basis, that says, I can massively rely on this guy. Yeah, and I've just looked at how many games he's played for Albion, and it's Wikipedia has him at 144 appearances. We signed him in 2018, so that's, what, five years? And so he's averaging almost 30 appearances a season. Well, yeah, and and you've got, but you've also got to factor into that, Pete, that he barely played that first year because the promotion season, uh, Kieran Gibbs, when he was fit, played ahead of him. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say, is that, yeah, for basically a whole season, he barely got any time, any minutes. So, yeah, he's really reliable, always seems to be available, um, which is such a, an important trait to have. I mean, you can look at the opposite at the minute with DK, is that when he when we do have him, he's great, but you just need your players to be available. Um, otherwise, you, but it, well, you but can't But it's, it's them, worth saying, Pete, it is more than that, isn't it? Because, I mean, I, I know I know what some people come back and say, say is, oh, well, it's it's all well and good in being in being fit, but, you know, it, so I know some people think he's not he's not good enough because... Because he's just not this harem scarum left back who is uh, who is thundering forward at, 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 at every given opportunity, or he's not, and he's not like mega quick or or something like that. I I know people have thrown around names like, for example, Ryan Manning at Swansea and 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 stuff like that. But I think I I personally think that Connor Townsend's contribution on a week to week basis gets massively massively understated. And I'll tell you what, Pete, I mean, not that we're going to have a lot of money in the summer anyway, unless we do pull off a miracle and get to the Premier League. Even then, I don't think we'll have a lot of money. Um, but if, if what little money we do have in the summer, unless we have to sell Connor Townsend for financial reasons, it's one of the last positions I'd be looking to. I mean, we need some backup because in both fullback positions, because I think it's criminal how this season we've we've pretty much gone the whole season with only two fullbacks to pick from, um, you know, and only really backed up by kids, especially since Peters went into centre-half. But in terms of a first choice, I I think left-back is one of the last positions in our in our team in terms of a first choice that I would be looking to improve. Yeah, absolutely. I'd say Connor Townsend's definitely up there as one of the best fullbacks in the league. Um, almost any team in the league would, would love to have him. So, yeah, I can't really see why we'd need to be looking for a um, a replacement as a, a first choice left back, um, and we might even just keep Ashworth in and, and use him as the backup because, he, from what I've heard, he's having quite a good season at, at Burton. So, um, but then I suppose you've got the difficulty of how much is he going to develop if he just sits on the bench for a season. But you know, it's it's going to be difficult anywhere with the, with the finances. So, um, having Ashworth there, Ashworth there might be the best option. Absolutely, and just just a word on the other side, Pete, because with Darnell Furlong. It was a very interesting change of tactic from Corbran, wasn't it? Because generally what we see, uh, you know, know me and my average position data, do like it. Um, when I look, uh, and I always look at the average position data, Matt, um, not not least to annoy you, uh, but uh, I, I like I like to look at that. And, and, and when I look at it, generally speaking, what I'm seeing is Connor Townsend reasonably high average position in and around the halfway line, normally kind of on a par with, Malumbi's average position and I'm seeing Darnell Furlong's position a lot deeper normally not that far ahead of the the center halves average position Darnell Furlong's average position against Norwich was so advanced I mean he was it, it, to the point where he was actually higher up the the pitch 
than Connor Townsend. And I honestly can't remember the last time I looked at the average position data and saw Furlong more advanced than Townsend. Yeah, and it's probably to do with the, the fact that Townsend quite often moves him in the build-up, so he, he gets passes in in deeper areas, whereas Furlong has those rotations with Mullumby and, and in recent weeks he's been drifting infield as well and with Wallace. So he's, he kind of moves about a bit more than Townsend. He's got a bit more fluidity to kind of come inside and move up the pitch, knowing that if he does move up the pitch, Mullumby will probably drop in. And we saw it against Sheffield United quite um, prominently, the way that he was just kind of free to almost roam around the pitch. Um, picked up the ball a couple of times out on the near the left wing. So that's how, how much freedom he had in that game. I don't think he was doing it as much against Norwich, but he was definitely getting up the pitch and, and supporting attacks and, yeah, kind of offering him an option to Jed Wallace when he was out wide. Well, either help him work a bit of space or, or for Furlong to put crosses in or just recycle the ball. But yeah, I thought he had a very good game. I thought he was absolutely excellent against um, Sheffield United. But I think he did have a good game against Norwich as well. So it doesn't really seem that, well, in my opinion, I don't think we need to be looking at trying to change either either fullback for next season. It was interesting with Furlong as well. One 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 data point that really jumped off the page to me was that um, he was second in terms of carry distance, carrying the ball, dribbling with it effectively, but top of most uh, of progressive distance carried. Again, Darnell Furlong and dribbling into progressive areas not something I associate with him this season, but it was on the weekend. Yeah, I mean, I think quite often the way that we move the ball around, we we open quite big spaces for him to, to drive into. And it's quite like if we have the ball out on the left and we manage to, to move it around to the right. And then I think as soon as it comes to furlong, he kind of his first touch is into space and he's, he's trying to uh, carry the ball forward and, and into that space that we've opened up. Um, so I think it's something that, that suits him. And he, yeah, I mean, he's, he's very athletic and he's re- reasonably quick as well. So, yeah, I think... His, aeri- his aerial dual data is is a joke as well, isn't it, Pete? I, well, and, yeah, yeah. and that's getting better and better every week. I've noticed. Yeah, he's fantastic in the air. Um, he always has been. You know, we quite often use him as a target from goal kicks. That's just how good he is. And but yeah, carrying the ball forward as well it, that definitely suits him. And and I think it kind of provides a nice um, a nice balance, a different option because on the left side, Townsend mostly passes the ball forward makes progressive passes, whereas on the on the right side Furlong's a bit more open to um to carrying it forward as well. I think I think against Sheffield United played quite a lot of progressive passes as well. So he, you know, he's got a bit of both. Well, the last couple of weeks he seems to have um really grown into the role under Corbran and, and seems to have improved a lot as a player. I don't know if it's him just kind of understanding what he's being asked to do a bit more and kind of understanding. Do you think he's one that's that, that struggled a little bit with the transition to to Corbram football? I mean, it is it's obviously very disciplined and uh, very structured. And I I know from you know my time working with players that some some players really really like that level of structure and that level of discipline, that level of instruction. Um, and they like to know where they should be on any on any given moment on the pitch. There's some players that are like almost freakishly robotic, where you can just give them instruction and they will carry it out. And then there's other players who are maybe a little more mercurial and struggle with that side of it because they they, they like to play the game in a much more reactive fashion. My personal take on Furlong is that is that at times I think he is 
he I think he struggled a lot more under Corbran than Townsend has. I think Townsend actually has I, I think has developed phenomenally as a player since Corbran came in as uh, as manager. I think he I think he understands what's uh, what's being asked of him. Yes, he leaves a little bit of space in behind him at times, but I think that that's part of what Corbran asks him to do. I don't think that's a mistake by Townsend a lot of the time. I think it's I think it's the way Corbran asks him to play. But I, I do look at Furlong and I think have you have you had a little bit of trouble taking all of this on board at times? I thought he and and where he got given a bit more freedom on Saturday. I just thought he looked a much better player, and maybe, and maybe some, there's something in that. Maybe that is the key to Furlong, that he can't necessarily play in quite as disciplined a fashion as Townsend can. But if you give him that freedom to go and overlap and be that player, and hopefully with your Koslu and Lumbi in the middle, you can maybe do that with your fullbacks, that you get a lot more out of him. Yeah, I think I don't think he particularly struggled when Corbran first came in, but I don't think he was anywhere near as good as he has been the last couple of weeks. Um, I think he's probably got a bit more of a complex role than than Townsend um, with the amount of rotations that we have on the right side and and Mullumby dropping in, Furlong going inside and Furlong going overlapping Wallace, etc. Yeah, it it seems to be that there's a lot more going on with that side of the pitch Um, in terms of the fullback they've they seem to have to be extremely focused and switched on and really aware of where everyone else is, kind of the positions that they should then take up because of it. But yeah, he's he's I think just his technical ability on the ball is what seems to have really, really improved and I remember quite a few I think it was under under Bruce maybe, seemed to be a bit of a pressing trigger for a lot of teams and he'd be the one that they'd force the ball to and then try and really squeeze him and, and force him into a mistake and quite often he'd just kind of clip it long but he seems to be a lot more comfortable with the ball at his feet and, and picking out passes. And, and I feel like Jed's offered for him a bit more in the last few weeks as well. Yeah, they play a lot of one-twos. That, I mean, they look so easy, but they just bypass players with it and um, it seems to be really effective. And yeah, they they do seem to be building up a bit of a relationship down there and a bit of an understanding, which um, will obviously help both of them and, and help Albion. So yeah, hopefully he can... can continue into next season as well because Furlong has really impressed me in the last couple of weeks. If you think his role's complex now, wait till uh, wait till Corbran goes full Klopp and starts playing him as a as a right back slash centre mid like uh, like Klopp's doing with Trent. And um, that uh, it, that's 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 a truly complex role. Um, you can tell the the Liverpool Spurs game is on the screen behind me whilst we're recording this, by the way. And um, just moving on uh, on slightly, Pete, and I'm um, one player that. I felt flew under the radar a little bit as to how good a game he had because it wasn't he wasn't one that I came away from the game absolutely crowing about and th- but this has been the case for a lot for much of this season but when when I went to the data oh my goodness me did John Swift pull all the strings yet again I I feel it, it, look I don't I'm not I'm not digging out anybody who because I know John Swift gets a lot of uh, as we said on the last pod, he get he doesn't get a lot of credit for a lot of the things that that, that he does. I'm not digging people out for not noticing that. Uh, to be honest, if I didn't if I didn't go go to um, who scored and FB ref and things like that after the game, I I'm not sure I'd necessarily notice 
all of it. But when you go to it, it's indisputable, really. Seven key passes in that game, like comfortably the most. Um, eight shot creating actions for anybody who doesn't uh, understand what that what that means it's basically the last two actions before a shot is taken so it's giving a player credit for more than just the immediate ball because you can always have that that thing where a player goes and beats like five players lays it into somebody who just sets it back for somebody else to to shoot and the player who's beat five players doesn't get any credit for that well shot creating actions allows them to have that he had twice as many shot creating actions as anybody else six progressive passes the most he took players on four times and three times he beat them as well i just thought he was i mean i'll be honest i didn't watch the game and i'll and think oh my goodness me john swift but yet every time after the game you sit down and you go to the data and it's just like oh john swift just quietly bossed it just and he that's that's the best way i can describe it pete he's not noisy about the way he does it he's not you know, he, as I say, he's he's another one that doesn't thunder around the pitch, and he doesn't. Uh, he's not. He's not crashing in shots from thirty yards a lot of the time. He's. Uh, I mean, he's even given up the free kick to uh, to Townsend. He's obviously a team player, but he is just quietly and calmly dominating football matches most weeks, isn't he? Yeah, he was um, excellent again, and seems to be another one that's really developed in the, the last couple of weeks and is impacting matches a bit more than he had been. I mean, he had consistently throughout the whole season, he's been, been one of our best players, um, one of our creative, well, probably our second most creative player, maybe even our most creative, I'm not sure. But him and Wallace are obviously up there for it. And against... I, th- I mean, data-wise, I think I, I, I don't think there's any dispute that he's the, mo- he's the most creative, to be honest. Yeah, and I mean, it was the same against, against Norwich. He was... Um, yeah, excellent in creating chances, um, linking up the play. Um, there was the one through ball that he slid through to Thomas Sante that we've already spoken about. That was a great little pass. Um, and he had the, I think he, yeah, he had the highest um, expected threat created. So just moving the ball into dangerous areas. I think he had the second highest received as well. So receiving the passes in in dangerous areas. Um, and he just linked up with a lot of players as well. So something that he's developed a lot, hasn't he? Because because I think our criticism of John Swift earlier in the season was he drifted out onto that left too much and he probably ended up drifting out of games at, at times because of it. I, I feel like he's got, he, he's he's learned the number 10 role in the sense that he's so much more central now and seems so much more dangerous as a result of it. Yeah, that is exactly what I was about to say. Um, against Norwich's, his average, average position was very, very central um, and it's something that different from how he started when we first signed him, he was always drifting out to the left, even when he was playing as a 10. And it, it was like he was just felt more comfortable out there. Um, but that's certainly something that he's developed to, to be able to stay more central and find space in those central areas that are generally a bit more crowded and, and harder to find space in there and be able to create from there as well. So it's it's really important because obviously if you can create from central areas, you're probably going to be more of a threat than just creating from wide, play, from wide areas and trying to cut in. Um, just because you're obviously closer to the goal and and easier just to uh, big chances rather than just kind of putting in crosses or creating chances from angles um, from wide angles that aren't as as good as if you're creating chances from right in front of the goal. But yeah, it's something that he's definitely improved and seems to have kicked the habit of wanting to drift wide all the time. Um, whether that was a habit or instruction, but 
yeah, he's, he's operating more centrally and, and yeah, doing really well, um, creating lots of chances and he's kind of turning into the player that, that we hoped we were signing at the start of the season. I did love his display, but I can't give him man of the match, Pete. That has to go to my personal favourite, Mr. Jed Wallace. And anybody who listens to this pod regularly knows that I always say we offer the data without bias. We we call it like like it is and our interpretation of said data. But I will always be very, very open about the fact that whilst I try not to let it influence my analysis of the game, I really do have a soft spot for Jed Wallace. I think he's fantastic. And I thought he was absolutely fantastic uh, against uh, against Norwich. Um, he it's it's just it's his ball carrying, it's his dynamism, Pete, that that I, that I absolutely love. And against against Norwich, highest progressive distance carry. Uh, sorry, highest carry distance um, in terms of taking the ball. Um, he took players on five times. He beat them three times. Same as same as Brandon. He's obviously popped up at the back post for the for the goal, which was which was a brilliant little finish. But I think the thing that I want to focus on today with with Jed, it's not so much about Norwich, but after the Norwich game, I think most people acknowledge the fact that Jed Wallace was superb against Norwich. I I, I don't think that was open for much dispute, and certainly not from what I saw in social media. But what I did see a lot of on social media is. Yeah, he was great, but nice of him to show up after a month off, or nice of him to show up. He hasn't done anything since Christmas. I'd love to know what games the people who think that have been watching. You know, I mean, it's it's all obviously a matter of opinion to a certain degree, but the data is there, screaming screaming you in the face. I mean, Sheffield United, he's he, he's created three big chances in that game, not least the Grant chance. Now, it's not Jed Wallace's fault that Grant misses from a yard, two yards. If Grant tucks that in and we win that game one or two nil, you go away saying, wasn't Jed Wallace brilliant? What a ball he did. He put in for, for Grant on, on a plate against Blackpool. He's completed dribbles. He just drove us forward time and time again and was constantly, constantly a threat. I, I highlighted it at the time against Stoke that the way he and Malumbi pressed together gave them nightmares and it led to one of the goals. So, I mean, first of all, if you if your narrative is that Jed Wallace has been poor for in recent weeks, well, there's three or four of the recent games, uh, the the three that I've just named plus Saturday, where I can actively prove that Jed Wallace contributed quite heavily towards the game, and it's not really his fault that people miss chances at the other end of it. Which is why Pete, we always say that expected assists are more interesting than assists. You know, expected threat is is more interesting because because that measures the player on their own virtues. It doesn't rely on somebody at the end of it to actually score the goals. But also, over the course of a season, again, there seems to be... Uh, I, I don't know why, but what he said after the QPR game put some people's noses out of joint. I think some people felt like he was... Um, calling out his teammates whilst not taking responsibility for his own performance. I did not see it like that. I, 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 The way I interpreted those quotes was that Jed was taking responsibility as a spokesperson for the, uh, for the team at that moment in time for the collective bad performance. And he included himself in that. That's the way I interpreted that. But over the course of the season, Jed Wallace is massively in credit for me. 
I mean, first of all, we've talked about minutes on the pitch, but it's got to be mentioned. 3,888 minutes on the pitch, which is the most. It's 70 minutes ahead of Connor Townsend, but then Connor Townsend and Jed are 500 minutes above uh, ahead of the next. Now, first of all, when you play 3,888 minutes in a season, you are going to have a little drop-off in form at some point, which I think he had over Easter, and he was poor against Sunderland. I openly admit that. And against Millwall. So there's four games if you, if you want. But, I mean, he's interspersed them with good performances in and around those. But players have the odd game where they're, where they're poor when they're playing so many minutes. Plus, in some of those games, he's got moved around out of position. And he's had to cope with that because Albrighton's come in. We've had no options on the left. Jed's had to play out on the left. He's had to play in the 10. Not, these are not his best positions. So he's had to cope with that. But I'm not making excuses for him because, as, as I say, I think he's I think he's massively in credit. He's got 14 goal co- contributions, which is uh, the equal most alongside Swift. Both of them have six goals, eight assists. He is okay. One thing we did highlight that's a slight negative with him is he is underscoring his XG. Only at 0.8 now, though, after that goal against Norwich. But he has received um, two uh, two hundred more progressive passes than the next highest. That's incredible. He has forty more progressive passes than the next highest, which is which is Connor Townsend again. By the way, just so just again to point out the value that Connor Townsend brings to the team. But Jed has forty more than him. He's got nearly twice as many shots on target as the next highest, and he's only behind Swift and Grady Dingana for shot creating actions. As I say, look. Football is a game of opinions, but the data is there. It is fact. Now, you can interpret the data in different ways, but when the the, the, the comes sort of like no smoke without fire, there's a, there's, a, there's, a wonderful, there's a wonderful quote in one of my favourite films, Lucky Number 11. If you haven't watched it, go and watch it, which is, um, if a man calls, calls, you, a, uh, calls you a horse... You, uh, you call him a jerk. If he calls you a horse again, you punch him in the face. But if he calls you a horse a third time, then maybe it's time to go shopping for a saddle. And I'm sorry, but there is so much evidence that Jed Wallace has had a good season that maybe it's time to go shopping for a saddle because he has just had a good season. Yeah, he's had a very good season um, and has probably been our best player the whole over the whole season. So again, if, if you should go back to the numbers, he's got 8.4 expected assisted goals um, which ranks him 7th in the whole league um, and he's behind some some very good creators, Ryan Giles is up there, Ryan Manning John Swift's 3rd um, and then Elias Chair uh, Gustavo Heyman, Victor Jokeris are the, the ones in front of him so some, some really some pretty players. illustrious company that is. Yeah exactly so um, to be 7th in, in basically creating the best chances over a whole over a whole season, you you struggle to say that. Sorry, Pete. Can we just underline that John Swift is third on that list for 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 anybody who, anybody who still thinks he doesn't do anything? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but to to be seventh, then I think you you struggle to say that he's gone missing for large parts of the season. Because otherwise, if he has gone missing for large parts of the season, then he must have been absolutely incredible for the other part for the parts of the season where he wasn't missing to create that many that many chances um and given we were bottom after 17 games that's hard to believe isn't it (laughs) yeah exactly so yeah i'd I'd struggle to see how you can say he's gone missing for large parts of the season you know as well as creating chances he he gets on the end of chances as well um so if you look at his expected goals plus 
expected assisted goals per 90 minutes. It comes in at 0.35. So you can kind of expect him to, to score or assist one every three games, which I personally think is a pretty good record for a winger that actually plays wide rather than coming inside most of the time. Um, so yeah, does it does it go somewhat as well to dispel the myth that he um, and I'm gonna I'm using air quotes for uh, uh, because obviously this is audio, but he slings in aimless crosses. Uh, can we can we just dispel that myth right now, please? Yeah, I, I I don't really understand that one. I think generally, I mean, almost always, I feel like he's got a target for his crosses. Even against Sheffield United, there was a couple that he, there wasn't really much on in the box, and instead of just whipping a ball into the box for the sake of it, he kind of chipped to the edge of the box, which I mean, I didn't really like because it just gave the defenders a lot of time to get out to, but even in that situation, it wasn't just a, an aimless ball into the box, he actually wanted to pick out his man um, and you can look at the cross um, against Norwich, he put one in I think it was quite early in the first half and Jason Mullumby just misses it with his head and Thomas Sandy can't react quick enough at the back post to make contact with it and obviously that cross wasn't completed, but you know, if Mullumby had been like half an inch further forwards or could have just reacted half a second quicker than he'd have got his head on it and I mean it was such a good ball so much pace and accuracy on it that I can't believe we wouldn't have scored if he'd connected with it I mean I I think I think part of the problem has been the way we've attacked his his crosses all season I think back to early in early in the season and you know some of the balls he was whipping across the six-yard box I'm thinking because Grant was up front at that at that period of time, I'm thinking, just throw yourself at it, Carlan. Throw yourself. Just because somebody's not made contact with it doesn't mean it's a bad cross. Um, I think sometimes you've got to look at the people trying to get on the end of the cross rather than the actual person putting the cross in. Because, yeah, like I said, I, I don't see many aimless crosses from him. I think they almost always have a target. And generally, they're, they're very good crosses as well. So I think if we had connected with a few more of his, his crosses, then I'd his expected assisted goals would probably be even higher than seven. So that's just the difficulty, difficulty you have when you're you're a winger that, that puts in crosses that you do largely rely on people getting on the end of it and, and taking those chances as well. It's also interesting to note that um, that they're on the same goals and assists given our, our pre-season predictions, uh, Pete, because uh, one, one of us had Swift and one of us had Wallace. Um, we could have a tense finish on our hands in terms of the, the pre-season predictions there, couldn't we? Yeah, we could. I think. Did I say Swift and you said Wallace? You, you did. Uh, like, like I would have said anyone other than Jed Wallace, mate. Come on, yeah, I'm loyal. Loyal. You know what I mean? I should have guessed, shouldn't I? Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's going to be a tight, tight run until the end of the season for that as well. Yeah, let's let, let's just uh, let's just hope we get an extra three games to uh, to work out that data point, eh? Uh But mo- just just moving slightly on, Pete, and on to away from the players on the pitch and uh, and over to the manager on the touchline. We've already talked about the fact that there was a little bit of a change in tack. It was a more open performance from Carlos Corbran. I have to say, it, certainly in the in the first half, with a lot less control than we usually get from a Carlos Corbran performance. We, we we easily could have been a couple of goals down, even at the point at which we conceded. They've had a had a free shot from the edge of the box. They've obviously had the one where Josh Sargent has checked back inside. He's completely wrong-footed Palmer, and he's put it just by the post. And I was right behind that in the Brummie. I, I, you know, for anybody who was up the other end or, or hasn't seen it back, my goodness me, that was close. Um, but... He did. I, I thought he changed it a little bit second uh, second half to get the control back. The 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 goal being as early on in the second half as it was, fifty four minutes, massively massively helps. And from that point on, from that goal from Jed Wallace, Pete, 
it was absolute vintage Carlos, wasn't it? It uh, because Norwich had from fifty four minutes onwards, so thirty six minutes of the game plus injury time, they've had two shots zero on target for a team chasing the game that needed to win. And we've said th- we've said this multiple times on this pod, but it's worth stating because I, 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 sometimes he lazily gets branded as inflexible, and I think part of that is because he generally plays the same formation. But there are adaptations within a formation. I thought this, by the way, I thought this was true to a certain degree of Val, and and don't want to go back into the whole Valerian Ishmael thing because we're done. We've washed our hands of that, and we move on and I certainly don't want to start arguing about Valerian Ishmael uh, a couple, uh, a year later, but I thought there was more adaptations to his play than people perhaps gave him credit for just because they don't see a formation change doesn't mean that we're playing the same way. And I think that's true of Carlos. He set out the team with the same formation against Norwich, but the way we played was so different to what we usually do. We were so attacking to the point where we were leaving ourselves open at the back. But the way he can adapt us in-game, and this is something that that certainly Bruce, I had a huge criticism of. I didn't feel like Bruce had much of any adaptation in-game. The way Carlos, game after game, and I know it's been a bit lacking in recent weeks because we've let Leeds slip, but there have been enough situations over the course of this season for, again, me to say that I think there is evidence that Carlos is very good at adapting us in games to shut games down. And it was nice to see that come back because we have chucked away leads against Sunderland, Rotherham, QPR, which is a very on-Albion thing to do under Corbran. We've, generally speaking, for much of Corbran's reign, it's generally been when we go 1-0 up in a game, you sit back in your seat, you you stick your feet up and you go, well, that's that then. And that had gone away for a few weeks. And it was really, really nice to see that return against Norwich because whether that goal kind of killed their momentum a little bit because obviously they knew they needed to win, but it shouldn't do because there was 35 minutes left in the game. That's more than enough time to come back in a football match. And I just thought it was vintage Carlos the way we killed the game stone dead. Yeah, and you can see if you look at a kind of momentum chart of how the game went. And in the first half, they started off with most of the momentum, the momentum is kind of calculated. Well, when I do them, it's by expected threats. So just, you know, he's moving the ball into dangerous areas. So I think in the first half, it was kind of kept swinging between both sides, quite high values. And then if you look after this Albion second goal, then they were like, the peaks of it are much lower. So it did keep swinging a bit, but the ball wasn't being moved into dangerous areas anywhere near as much or anywhere near as dangerous areas. So yeah, I mean, it's it's just kind of a visual, visual way of seeing how it, it did kind of be. It was kind of killed off, and the threat wasn't there after the second goal. We we did just shut it down and and did what we needed to do to to get the win. I mean, a few a few more goals would have been nice, um, just to kind of have goal difference in our favour over a couple of teams. But obviously, the three points was most important. So I think we're happy to kind of shut it down. We'll, we'll take a very quick break there, but after the break, we will have a chat about how the land lies going into the final day and the permutations for West Brom. We'll see you in a second. Hi. 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home, especially with Albion's home record under Carlos Corbran. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome back to Albion Analysis. Well, that's enough talking about the Norwich game because whilst it was a very, very important three points, it's three points. The game is uh, gone and done and we move on to Swansea at uh, at the weekend. I mean, interesting f- from that point of view, Pete, that they've obviously got nothing to play for now. Their draw against uh, against Hull, um, coupled with the fact that obviously um, the other results have uh, have gone against them. You would say m- most notably Millwall winning on on Friday night against um, uh, against Blackpool um, have seen them off, and it'll be interesting to see whether uh, whether that impact uh, Swansea's motivation you, it's so hard to tell isn't it with with these things because it can it can go one way or another really with teams on the final day who have nothing to play for i always think teams i i think it's a dangerous assumption to make that teams will be less motivated because i think teams it, it, when they're in front of their own fans I think regardless of whether they have had a have much to play for or not want to give a good send off in front of their own fans but not least Swansea because I think Swansea will be trying to lay down a marker for next season because they've had such a good finish to the season I'll be honest I mean look obviously before we when we get to the permutations we'll look at them but everything everything in the permutations relies on Albion winning but I don't expect any favours from Swansea, do you? No, I wouldn't have thought so. I imagine they'll want to cause, well, not an upset, but they won't want us to go away celebrating. They'll want us to, to be miserable and have their home supporters celebrating. So, yeah, I can't won't expect any favours from, from Swansea. Um, and they're in the, probably the most informed side in the Championship at the minute. So it's it's not going to be an easy, an easy game. But as you say, if we want any chance of, of reaching the playoff spots, then we have to win. Absolutely, we do have to win. And the first factor in that is um, is is because uh, we're recording this on uh, on Sunday. I, obviously, I don't know when you'll be listening to it, but we're recording this on Sunday before Blackburn play Luton on Monday night, which obviously is a big, big game for Albion. Now, the funniest thing is there, Pete. I actually don't think a defeat for Blackburn is the best result for Albion because if Blackburn were to lose all all but mathematically they can't make the playoffs because their final day game is against Millwall 
and it would mean if Blackburn lost, they would uh, they they would at minimum, depending on how many they lose by, they would at minimum have to have a minus four goal difference, which would mean they would have to beat Millwall by enough to make up twelve goals because Millwall are on plus eight. And and obviously Blackburn can only get to sixty eight points. So if they were to lose to Luton, so Blackburn would effectively have to win six nil against Millwall to have any chance of the playoffs if they lose to Luton on Monday night. I actually obviously that uh, Blackburn losing is more favourable than Blackburn winning and going above Albion onto sixty eight points for the final day of the season because if Blackburn win against Luton, then both. Blackburn and Millwall would be on 68 points going into the final day, which means they they play each other and neither of them can win if Albion are to have a chance of the playoffs. So that that would have to be a draw. And the last time we needed a game to be a draw for us to have any um, chance of achieving our goals, I I think it was uh, um, Swansea-Southampton, if I remember correctly, that didn't go particularly well for us. So... We obviously don't want Blackburn to win, but I think if we were talking absolute ideal scenario, Pete, I would rather Blackburn drew that game because they would be on the same points as us, but they would, uh, but they would be ten goals worse off, which is a goal difference they're not going to make up on the final day. But it would mean that they would still have a chance of going above Millwall, and I think would probably motivate them far more highly to go and beat Millwall than if they were to if they were to actually lose that game against Luton. I know I'm talking ideal scenarios, but I think in in my mind, if you asked me if you if if you gave me the power to choose the result against um uh, uh, against between Blackburn and Luton, I would choose a draw over a Blackburn defeat. Yeah, because we need. As you say, you mentioned all of that, but then the other thing that we also need is is Sunderland to slip up against Preston. Oh, don't you worry! Don't you worry! I'm getting to all of that. I'm getting to all of that malarkey. But just it, just on the on the Blackburn situation, I think Monday night that would be the ideal result, wouldn't it? Yeah, probably. Whatever happens, we're we're still alive in in the race for the playoffs, aren't we? But it's just about the motivations for, yeah. for Blackburn to to get a result and move on on the final day of the season. So it's yeah. It, it, it it keeps us alive. If Blackburn win, then then the only result where on the final day, which which gives us a chance, is is a draw between Blackburn and Millwall, though, which is which which is asking quite a lot. Just focusing on those two, we'd still get in if they did if they did draw and we won. But yeah, there's so much that that we're relying on that I'm not feeling uh, I'm not feeling too confident at the minute. But you never know. No, 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 no. And I'll be honest, neither am I. I mean, in terms of what what we also need. Um, so just to be clear, obviously it depends what Blackburn do against um, against Luton on Monday night. But um, if Blackburn were to win, then we would need Blackburn Millwall to be a draw, and for Sunderland to uh, not beat Preston, and for us to win. Or if Sunderland did beat Preston, we would have to beat um Swansea by three more goals than Sunderland would beat Preston so that those are the situations or or in a real pie in the sky uh, level of thinking Coventry to lose to Middlesbrough and for us to beat Swansea by enough goals to make up the five goal swing that is in there it, there's a lot of things go, going on in there basically we need to at present overhaul two teams of the three that are catchable above us. If Blackburn were to win, then we would need to overhaul three 
out of the four teams that are catchable to us. So it is it is a big, big ask. There's no two ways about it. It is highly unlikely, and that much is very, very true. Um, but Pete, I mean, if only if only there was a point of reference where Albion, in their history, were going into the final day completely reliant on the results of two or three other teams where they had successfully won their game and the other teams had all dropped points in order for Albion to achieve their goal. I just can't think of any time that's ever happened. And I actually can't remember it, so... <laughs> Stop it. Now, that, that's that's the sort of stuff where you make me feel old, mate. That really is the stuff where you make me feel old. But no, I mean, obviously, let's let's all imbibe the spirit of the great escape let's hope it repeats itself but it is a it, it is it is a big ask just one completely away from everything before we go pete but i think it's important that we give a word to him a lovely reception for jake livermore we got about 30 seconds on the uh, on the field against uh, against norwich but then he did a, a nice interview with with sky did a lovely message on the albion socials for the uh, for, for the club's followers and i thought his open letter to supporters which came, I think, the day before the game, was just beautiful. I love lovely, lovely words from him. I know he splits opinion. I know he's uh, look. He's a player that we've criticised heavily on this very po- podcast. I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to sit here and uh, and pretend that I didn't say some extremely harsh. Not no. Actually, I thought they were justified at the time. Um, but uh, certainly some strong opinions about him after he got sent off in Bruce's first game against Sheffield United I'm not going to I'm I'm not going to rewrite history and pretend that I have always said positive things about Jake Livermore but at a point like this you have to step back and look at the bigger picture and the bigger picture with Jake Livermore again I'll use the phrase net positive because I think he's been a great servant to the club for you know, obviously that he's had a few standout moments. The goal against Tottenham, which just kept us alive for another another week, was was an amazing, amazing moment. As silly as it sounds, even though we still got relegated that season, it's still just an extremely fond moment um, for for me. But for me, above above and beyond everything else, I felt I, I what will stand out for me in terms of Jake Livermore, and I'll ask you what what stands out for you. I think what will stand out for me is how he captained us and was utterly, utterly magnificent in the promotion under Billich. I, I, that, 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 will, that will be my abiding memory of Jake Livermore in a West Bromwich Albion shirt because I thought that was, that was the quintessential Captain Livermore for me. Yeah, he was absolutely superb that season. He was full of energy um, up and down the pitch, you know, covered a lot of ground alongside Sawyers and he was the leader as well. And he's kind of a player that we don't seem to have in the current starting eleven. Is We don't really have players with that visible leadership that Livermore has. He was always there. He was always kind of pulling his teammates along with him, even through tough times. And a world of credit for him as well for being in and around the dressing room throughout the the latter weeks of this season where he hasn't been involved up until the last few weeks. No, and as supporters, we probably don't see the best parts of Jake Livermore, especially over the last couple of seasons, because what you hear is he's just so liked around the whole club and so involved with everything. And I mean, it's kind of what you want your captain to be. It's, it's more it's more to the role than just, you know, wearing the armband and 
and barking orders on the pitch. I think a lot of it is done out of sight of the fans and goes on behind the scenes. And the fact that he's he's been in and around the dressing room just supporting the lads and yeah, just trying to help them in any way that he can, even though he's not been playing. Um, yeah, I think it deserves big, huge credit for that. Well, let's hope that that wasn't Jake Livermore's final home game as a West Bromwich Albion player and that he gets at least one more game at the Hawthorns through virtue of us making the playoffs. We will find out on Monday whether or not Albion can do what seems like an unlikely feat at this moment in time. But as I say, it wouldn't be the first time West Bromwich Albion have achieved an unlikely feat. Fingers crossed we can do that very thing. We will be back after the Swansea game to perhaps review the season, perhaps preview the playoffs. Who knows? But until then, thanks for listening and up the baggies. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.